This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Build Business Acumen Podcast, where we deliver practical knowledge and powerful guidance. Here is your futuristic host, Nathaniel Schooler. I'd like to introduce you to Mike Briarcliffe. Mike is a digital leader, a social business practitioner who specializes in the information technology and snow sports sectors, occasionally both together. With over 50 years in management and marketing specifically, Mike has helped grow over 50 businesses, some from the ground up, and he has helped many people to progress in their careers. So let's get into this interesting talk. Well, hey, Mike, it's really great to speak to you again. Yeah, good. And thanks for calling me Nat. No worries, no worries. I'm pleased that I'm going to learn a bit more about innovation. I mean, I think it's a, it's a massive subject, isn't it, really? And, and, and as you said to me when we were discussing this, uh, this expert talk, how, I mean, I said to you, it can be anywhere in business and in life and process, product and departmental innovation, right? But you pointed out a few other really interesting elements to it. I was talking about innovation uh, being uh, all, all around us and, can, and 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 able to able to be interpreted as product innovation or service innovation or process innovation or business development or I mean it's such a wide subject so we need to focus in on the, the areas that we want to really talk about. I mean, to me, uh, I, I've regarded myself has been innovative throughout my career um and which is quite a long one as you know and um to me the innovation matter in uh, in business is often best uh, treated as uh, experimentation um and uh, and as uh, a, a, an activity carried out by a small number of people not the whole business so so for instance if I wanted to uh, innovate a new customer approach for um, for dealing with, uh, with with my clients, what I'd do is I'm going to find the two or three best people that I had who I knew had the the capability of delivering that innovation, get them to do it in a in a in a silo to start with, and have them um, come up with some results and some measurable um, some measurable milestones and some. Uh, some some um, some understand, understandable uh, concepts for taking the business forward, and then taking the business forward in that silo before then re-delivering it to the rest of the business. My, my my experience was if you tried to get twenty people to deliver innovation, it would never work. Focusing on the focusing in with the best two or three people, and figuring out what the right uh, what the right pattern is, what the right speed is, what the right features are. And then 
working on that with a small number has two effects. What one is you actually prove it without it without it becoming too uh, too dispersed, um, and you actually show the people who aren't in it um, where you're going, and and they they suddenly, uh, well normally anyway, they rally to the cause. Um, rather than saying, well, we're all going to do this and uh, hope that we can all set off on this path. And um, in my experience, that tends to disperse the, the, the focus and you, you never get the innovation that you're looking for. So focusing in with a team and then delivering that experience to the, to the wider team seems to me the best way to do things, particularly when you're focusing in on better ways to do your business. Yeah, that makes that makes that makes a lot of sense, actually. And, you know, I think it's it's a difficult it's a difficult one, isn't it? I mean, I've I pride myself on being innovative as well, you know, and try and come up with come up with better ways to sort of do things all the time. And from what I sort of said to you a bit earlier, I was saying that, you know, when I was when I was working in production in the in the wine industry, like however many years, 20 years ago ish. I sort of turned around and I said, well, you know, why am I folding a box and then putting an innard into the box and then folding and then turning the box over and then sticking the tape, right? When surely I can just get a box with an innard in already and then stick the bottom of the box and, and turn it up the right way. But that innovation would have, own, you know, would only work if for one, the actual new product was cheaper or you reapportion the labor cost to somewhere else within the business, right? But is it not true that everybody, especially with AI coming along, with artificial intelligence and the way that machines are learning, that everybody needs to be thinking innovation in their job and how to make their job easier and better and, and smoother, right? Process improvement is what you're really talking about there, which is, comes under the general heading of innovation, I guess. Uh, and the answer to that is yes. Although, going back to my earlier point, uh, that's really why you need to choose your best people and get them to innovate and then re-deliver that innovation to the rest of the business. Because uh, not everybody in, in, in the business uh, either wants to innovate or is capable of innovating. Um, a lot of people are good at following what's already been proven. Uh, a lot of people don't want change yeah uh, so yeah what you said it, it, it's everybody everybody's uh it's everybody's responsibility to innovate but you've got to have a certain mindset to be innovative and not everybody is right yeah uh, i mean i think you could you could you could also break a particular part of the business if you don't do it correctly if because i was reading something the other day i think it was from harvard or, or, or somewhere like that and it was it was just saying that you know certain departments are there to be solid to be rock solid and the last thing that department wants to actually do is to innovate because it's going to break a process that's working extremely well right yep and that's um that's that goes straight to my earlier point really you don't want to disrupt the whole organization in terms of uh, innovation you've got something that's working then keep it working and have a small team innovate and then re-deliver a successful innovation back to the rest of the business. Yeah. Yeah. So with, with the move in technology now, I mean, I've been sort of, you know, I do a lot of, a lot of audio interviews. I use the audio files and, and I transcribe those into words, right? So 
that's just one example of an innovation which it is moving in the right direction it isn't quite there yet but it's sort of an augmented approach between like a human actually sitting there and listening to that audio uh, and actually a computer that is turning that audio into some words that then can be indexed for example in a search engine right and as we're sort of moving forwards with these new innovations in technology jobs are changing and, and people are actually becoming more able to sort of work alongside the computer instead of just sort of doing their human job if you like and then perhaps doing something with a with a computer right well there aren't there aren't many jobs that i can think of that uh, over the last let's say 20 years that haven't involved a computer i, I think it's important to recognize that artificial intelligence didn't suddenly arrive in a, in a rocket ship from from space uh it's a development of computing and um you know what we today call artificial intelligence uh, and wrap uh, mystique and black magic around it, it is that's that's not the way the way it is when um when artificial intelligence was uh conceived as a poss possibility you know can a computer think like a human that's where it first uh, came from with uh, Alan Turing and so on. And, and that, that was in the 1950s. The, 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 the approach is not, the, the idea of the approach is not new, but it's taken a long, long time in computing terms, particularly to get to a point now where we can all look at something like this and give it a name, artificial intelligence. It's important to recognize, and I was, I was discussing this the other day with some people we know quite well, uh, you and I know quite well, um, the, the Turing test, to my knowledge, has not yet been passed. The Turing test was, here is a way of deciding whether a computer is thinking like a human. And that test has not been passed, to my knowledge. Uh, there's been talk of it being passed, but I think um, it's been poo-hooed. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence is now becoming an accepted term, but the very gateway through which it has to pass to become defined uh, to become to become artificial intelligence as defined by turing has not yet been they haven't passed through that gate so um there's a bandwagon talking about new and innovative ways of doing stuff um but we're still really only at the very beginning of it and it's uh, it's got a fuzzy definition around it now because it's not the clear the clear clearly defined is this computer of its own volition thinking like a human all all of what we're seeing is is uh is advanced coding yes and, and it's very useful and it's, and it's very innovative but it isn't yet it isn't yet in the spirit of what was defined as being artificial intelligence yeah 100 percent. I, I i actually looked into the group that we're sort of talking around right now and i and i had a look at some of the information in there and just thought well to be to be honest, like I'm not, it's not adding any value to my life. Even reading it, like I mean, I'm not being arrogant about it, but you know, you've been studying this a lot longer than I have, and I'm, I don't expect you to say the same thing. But I think it's very useful to actually see uh, the opinions of of so-called thought leaders within the space, and actually, they're not really they're not really up to speed with what's actually happening. And the reality of it is, we're miles away from uh, the Turing test, I think, personally. Um, 
from the people I've been talking to, machine learning professors and stuff, they 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 actually think of the sort of hype that has been put out there um, within these sort of circles of so-called self-professed experts within this arena. <laughs> to be to be honest, you know. And, I, and, and I'm sure some of them have some valid points and some valid information, but, you know, um, compared to sort of some of the industrial internet of things, people like Dan, Dan Yarmuluk, who, who I interviewed a while back, who actually work on the ground with this technology. I mean, I was talking to my dad about it and he raised a really interesting point because he was, he studied like industrial engineering at MIT. Right. And, and, and he raised this point of like, actually innovation when you are using a production line, so for example, if you're, in a, if you're in a factory, you need to start at the end of the production line with the innovation. You don't start at the beginning, which I thought was an amazing, uh, actually, insight into, into how it, because imagine you create this amazing innovation at the beginning of the production line, and then what happens at the end? It's going to create a nightmare, right? Yeah, uh, uh, you've got to, you've, what you've got to do with all these innovations um, technical or process or marketing or business development is think about what the end consumer uh, wants from this process or from this from this phenomenon that you're creating and, and, and which is the same as you're referring to with your dad the end of the line not the beginning I, I'm uh, throughout my career I've, I've been working with people who've put some amazing things together innovatively speaking uh, typically, uh, technology-wise, in, in the context of what I'm saying now, that have never ever really had success in the market. However clever they are, and however innovative they are, they didn't think about well, what does the customer want? And uh, and I think there's an important point there actually, which I believe all all of my uh, throughout my career, um, people used to say when when we were implementing computers in the 70s, well. Um, Let's uh, let's let's emulate the, the the current process, and that's not a bad way to start thinking about it. But the fact is, you can do things much more innovatively with computing than you ever could in a um, in a manual process sense. So, when you're designing processes of that kind and innovating uh, business processes, you need to be aware of what's possible. Uh, which which computing the compute the computing the business computing phenomenon made possible, but pe because people didn't know what was possible, they were coming up with old-fashioned processes without understanding what was now possible because of the different way of doing things. So it's really important to um, to think well. Here's now what is possible, and finding someone in your business who gets that is really important. And then figuring out how what is possible can can meld with what is what is currently being delivered, and so this process enhancement, this process innovation, uh, comes from two points of view really. Well, I've just tried to describe them. What are we doing now, and how is it working, and can it work better? But but what is possible here? Because you can't start off by saying, uh, well, we're going to do it this way and do it that way, and 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 effectively. Uh, deliver business processes in the modern age unless you know what's possible because it wasn't possible before so it's a really important thing that you've got you've got to get you've got to get a team together when you're doing innovation who understands what happens now and it, and and people of a process uh, process orientation and then you've got to get you've got to get the imaginary people out who can think well if this was possible 
um, then um, wouldn't that be great? Now, somebody in the middle has got to say, well, that is possible, or it's not possible, or that's not possible yet. Um, so that, that's why this team thing that I was, I was going on about earlier, uh, that's why it applies so, um, so much in my mind, because you've got to get the talents together to figure out what the, uh, what the, the potential improvements to uh, processes and the innovations you can make with your business are. Well, that leads beautifully into our next part of this conversation, which is design thinking. And uh-huh. so according to the MIT quote that I found the other day, Design thinking is a powerful process of problem solving that begins with understanding unmet customer needs, which is what you've you've sort of uh, talked about. And from that insight emerges a process for innovation that encompasses concept development, applied creativity, prototyping and experimentation, which is we've sort of talked around that already. And when design thinking approaches are applied to business, the success rate, interestingly enough, for innovation improves substantially. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's 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 really just the way to go, isn't it? It's ask the customer what they want, and that customer could be a department in your business. It doesn't necessarily have to be external to the business, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, there's there's a, a long held concept within, in particular, American corporations, and therefore. Uh, the Western world that uh, your customer, the customer is the is the is the department that you're delivering your your uh, product or your service to. They don't, don't have to be a customer. Customer thinking in that sense can have many links inside the business, uh, as well as having the ultimate uh, the ultimate customer, which is the, that person outside or that entity outside the business. Um, yeah. So basically. Um, the comment I'd make upon what you just said, uh, following your description of what design thinking is, um, the customer doesn't always know what he wants. Well, the customer might know what he wants, but he doesn't know, the customer doesn't know what's possible for him to want. So it's important that somebody on that side of the equation is either helping the customer to, th- to say the right things to you as a supplier, or that you have uh, some kind of uh, entity which is advising the customer on what's possible. Most, I'm talking really computing now, which is where I spent most of my career, most customers don't know what's possible. Therefore, how can they accurately describe what they want? Right. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was, I was sort of talking, talking with Dan, uh, who, who you know of, um, and he was kind of saying, well, go out and see what's out there already. And if it's out there already, go and have a look at some of the software platforms where you can kind of find these things and have a little think about it. And, and actually, so for, for one example, I mean, if you look at how you can, you can actually use trans, translate apps, for example, you can, you can plug in like Google. Google has a translate open source application. You've got Microsoft that's got one of those. So it is possible to, all right, it's not 100% accurate, but it's, it's, it's very, very accurate compared to what it was. 200 languages are available now, which you can plug in whatever you're doing into that potentially, right? So that's just one example of something that you can actually use, right? And I'm sure you know loads of other examples. Well, in, in today's, in today's uh, 
cloud world, um, it's really interesting that to think that almost any process can be delivered on demand into into the system that you're creating. So innovation in a system sense um, is is very easy to prototype these days. Once you once you've got somebody who understands how to architect a system and how to how to pull the services that are required you from from the interweb using using uh, the, the cloud approach um, it's really easy to, to design a system at the first level for certain and then the, then the innovation uh, design thinking comes of saying well all these things exist in the world we don't have to develop them all we got to do is bring them to the bring them to the, uh, the the process flow the system bring them there prove the concept uh, in terms of uh, will this deliver what we want and then deal with the issues of well it's not quite fast enough or it's a bit too clunky or it's a bit expensive or the code over there doesn't really work well with the code over here but fundamentally you can you know i'd find it hard to to define a, uh, a service that you would require within a business process that wasn't available using cloud delivered uh, technology yeah it is it is mind blowing when you when you think about it. I mean, you know, I'm you know I'm teaching my dad how to use his iPhone, right? He's eighty he's eighty six this summer, yeah, and and you know he used to write programs like fifty years ago. I mean, he can't remember now, but but it, it blows his mind. Like just talking to Siri, just as an example, and getting Siri to do certain things, you know, like send an email, kind of a thing, or you know send a text message and and the kind of text uh, the voice to text capabilities now are taken for granted i think in many in many instances with regular users but when you sort of see someone that's 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 kind of not seen this before and how amazing it is you realize that that we're in this bright shiny kind of object world where you know Everyone in technology is obsessed with the next technology, the latest thing. But actually, when you break it down and you look at it all, it's like, well, let's look at where we are now with an iPhone 8 or, or whatever the latest one is compared to like an iPhone 4 or an old Nokia, right? And then you, and then you, just, and then you just look at it and it's like, well, how many prototypes and how many millions of people and millions and billions and billions of questions have actually gone into like refining siri for example hmm. well voice recognition um is not new um the the versions of voice recognition that appear on our phones these days like siri and alexa and and uh, and, and and those other things i forgot what microsoft is called but anyway the, the, there are a number of of voice recognition systems which are hooked up to doing real things and um you know speaking you and i were talking about chatbots a few months ago a chatbot is is a very is a very simple thing in a way because once you've got voice recognition to uh uh to a, a level where it's efficient enough what you've just done is simply added a voice recognition layer to the user interface of, a, of an application and um it, it's not it's not something that i find hard to hard to grasp one of the things I find hard to grasp at the moment, to be honest with you, is when I talk to Siri, it keeps getting, it, it, it probably doesn't understand the Northern accent very well. And, um, <laughs> and uh, it, 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 often, uh, it often screws up what I'm saying to it. But uh, 
fundamentally, if um, well, I've got a, I've got a, a very dear friend who speaks to it almost mechanically and gets a top result every time. So you know, sp uh, te te speech recognition, converting that to text and converting it to system commands is uh, is, is all is all the rage now, um, and all those things. It's a bit like I was saying just a few minutes ago about the, um, the all these things have been available. I think the glory of what's happening right now is they are being integrated uh, innovatively and, and put into applications like Siri and Alexa and so on and so forth. Uh, is, is it Cortana, the Microsoft one? Yes, it is. That, yeah. that, um, that actually are doing the things that you would have normally done with your fingers on a keyboard uh, up to a couple of years ago. So it's it's this whole phenomenon is taking stuff that's kind of been in development for years and decades and bringing it to a point where it's integrated in such a way that the application of that combined technology of those combined technologies is just changing the way we work. The chatbot thing that you and I were talking about a couple of months ago kind of minimizes the re the reality of what's happened here. The, the you know it it's kind of it kind of trivializes it is a better word. The word and, bot, you mean? Well, the word chat and the word bot. The fact is, this is the user interface for really serious systems that is driven by voice. They, right. They, you know, people say, oh, there's a chatbot. My, my bank's got a chatbot. And when I talk to it, it doesn't make any sense. In fact, that happened just the other day. In fact, yesterday, in one of those conversations that you and I were looking at uh, in that group. And, you know, people, people have trivialized it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the word, as an example, the term 3D print trivializes the fact that this is, this is fabrication. 3D print is layered fabrication. Explain what, what layered fabrication is, because I don't well, quite get well, that. I mean, I probably do, but... The, well, the reason that, um, the reason it, it, it became um, kind of called printing is that something like an inkjet printer lays down a layer of a material and then it lays down another layer on the top of it, and another layer on the top of it, and another layer on top of it, until what's been built is not, is not print on a page, it's actually a physical object. Got you. So now, you know, the idea of saying, well, that's 3D printing, in my opinion, has done the whole process no good at all, because people can't get their head round. How can you print things? Well, if you say, well, if I if I put one layer of material on the, on the uh, on the table and another layer on top of that and another layer on top of that and another layer on top of that, everyone will then understand what we're doing here. We're building, we're building things in layers. We're not. And but but the 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 point I was making about about a chatbot and the point I'm making about 3D print, it trivializes what the process is. The Triple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, but also voice recognition can be used in so many different ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be a chatbot. It can actually be used to uh, used in security for calling your bank, for example. Well, basically what we're saying here is here are some system components, which be, in my opinion have been laughingly called chatbot, chatbots, which are capable of driving your systems. Instead of you having to type it in, it, 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 it's taking your words and relaying them to a machine which has got the pre-programmed intelligence to come back to you and say yes or no or what do you mean by that or in that case you should do this so a chatbot is a is a, is a lump of computer code which is is pre-programmed uh, by a human not by some uh, 
mythical thing in the in the in the stratosphere <laughs> by a human to interact with you on the basis of what you say and it recognizes what you say because of voice recognition you know these things are not mystical but to call them chatbots makes them sound like they are some kind of really small thing they're not you know if if uh, if you could if you could drive a, uh, a, a well, sorry if you could you can drive a very significant system by talking to it <laughs> and that's what they've that's what they've hung the name chatbot upon and uh it's trivialized it and what i was saying earlier about 3d this 3d print the same thing has happened in 3d print you know the um the people don't understand how 3d print can be because how can you print a bottle well you can print a bottle if you if you lay, lay down a layer of uh, liquid glass using inkjet technology and keep doing that and keep doing it and keep doing it until you've got enough layers it'll become a bottle or a vase or whatever it needs to be but the very term 3d print has trivialized it that's why 3d fabrication uh, is, a, is a much better way of describing what the process is and and giving it the giving it the uh, the gravitas that it that it needs so you know and i'm a big critic of the industry uh, my industry my com computer industry at large for coming up with buzzwords that 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 kind of um cloud and there's one in itself that cloud the reality of, of what's of what's being done here you know th these are very serious pieces of uh, of work um and they're being called trivial things yeah so um I, it's one of my big hobby horses <laughs> anyway <laughs> so so with 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 problem solving right we're we're understanding what the problem is for whichever department we're trying to we're trying to fix it could be an outside customer or it could be an internal department then we're going to create uh, a concept then we're going to find out if it's going to work we're going to apply that creativity prototype the product and then yep. we're going to experiment with it to make it work as best as it can and then we're going to scale it and use it on with more users is that is that a fair process um well, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure if I if I wrote all that down and um, put it into a flowchart and and put the critical points in it and the milestones, there'd be some work left to do. But broadly speaking, <laughs> yeah, that, that that's it. You know, and 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 going again back to my, uh, I don't want to sound like a stuck record, but going back to my original point of do it in a small sense and then roll it out, or do it in an, in a narrow sense and prove it works, and then roll it out to the rest of the business is a much better way than hoping the process that you've designed does work and then giving it to the whole business all at once. Yeah. But also actually having the money to invest because like, you know, I mean, I was, when I was talking to Dan about like some of these um, CEOs keep approaching him and saying, you know, we, we need some AI and he's just like, well, what, what do you mean guys? Like, and they're like, but we need AI. And he's like, well, actually, if you're going to invest in AI for something within your business, you're going to need to, increase your staffing within that department by two times the kind of number of people you've got already for two years is basically what he's what he's recommending and then you're going to get the benefits because people are just under the impression that there's a magic wand that technology can just kind of uh, fix you know and in many cases it's not that right is it really no it's not i mean this, this, to repeat myself again this is uh this is computer code. Um, 
now you know people people um sell pre pre-written computer code and the more of it they sell the, the less the price gets uh, or, or the bigger they are the, the more they can invest in in producing these products that are so-called ai but the reality is that whatever tools you use to do these jobs and whatever tools you bring alongside to help you do the jobs um process is the key issue here and if you you can't stop a process and start a process just in the hope that it'll work you've got to find a way of building the process over time testing uh, integrating partitioning uh, and and so on in order to make sure that you know you don't simply say well we've got ai now so we don't need those jobs anymore I think there's a there's a period of time in in the in the big big fear about AI is going to take all our jobs. Uh, Dan's quite right. There's a time when actually we're going to employ more people uh, in the in the short to medium term uh, because there are two sets of people at work here. There are the people who are implementing the AI, and there are the people who are um, the people who are there already. So it's not a simple AI takes all our jobs. I think there's a, pe- a period of time where AI increases jobs. And then you start to be ref- you start refining, and you know, going back in time to seventies when I, when people were saying this to me, this computer will take my job away. Um, most most people who successfully adopted and implemented and uh, and drove forward with computers grew their businesses and grew their jobs. Didn't didn't find themselves in a situation where they didn't need people anymore, did they? Exactly. <laughs> And, and it's the same thing, really. We're, we're 40 years on now, but it's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone in technology and like, like they like to think that, you know, what they're doing is, is like so far ahead. But it's like without those principles and like the business knowledge that people build up as well, like nothing has actually changed that much. It's still a process and it still needs work. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think... I think also the companies that are not innovating are seriously in trouble. I mean, they're going to be, I don't like the word disrupted, but if you, if you, if you think about what happened with, uh, with Blockbuster and mm-hmm. in fact, what happened actually that I heard the other day that the CEO of Blockbuster launched a Netflix rival uh, project within the company and he didn't get the support from um, the rest of the company, and that's the reason that uh, that it, Netflix took it, took over. Basically, they weren't fast enough to innovate. Yeah, and and company size has got a lot to do with that as well. It's often said that uh, I was using this this um, this comparison just yesterday with someone. It's often said that small companies are better innovators than large companies, and, and by the way, small teams are better innovators than large teams, without any question, particularly in the software development arena. Uh, there's, a, there's an equation there. I can't remember the dimensions of it, but if you, if, you had six people in a, if you had six people in a software development team and you said, we need to go faster and gave them 12 instead, the project would slow down because uh, it's not really all about uh, raw manpower uh, or raw, raw brain power. It's about the ability to interact in a, uh, in a, in a flexible and meaningful and, and, uh, and rapid way. But the thing I was, I was talking about yesterday was TomTom. You know, uh, I, was, I was navigating from A to B and uh, I was using Google Maps. When you think about it, well, let's say five years ago, that was TomTom's domain. 
no one buys it. I don't know whether what I'm about to say is true, but I, I wouldn't think about buying a TomTom now. TomTom were the market leader five years ago. Google had, came in with such a mass of, uh, of resource and uh, expertise and preordained assets that everyone, to my knowledge, now uses Google Maps to navigate. And TomTom has, has, uh, has dwindled away. So you can, you can be the market leader today, but, and it's not only innovation here, it's the ability to call on massive resource. Right, right. If you don't, if you don't innovate, you're not in good shape. If you can't call on the resource of the competitor who is a, sorry, if you can't call on the, on the same kind of resource that your major competitor does, then equally you're going to suffer. So, um, you know, innovation's got, uh, got the, got the, the, the rapid movement of a, of a small team, a small focused team um, within its spectrum. It's also got the massive resource of a company like Google in its spectrum because they can outpace people, people like that. Uh, can uh, outpace anyone. You, know, you, you couldn't hope to get uh, the kind of uh, assets behind you if you're the leader of TomTom that you can if you're the leader of Google. So it's not only about small and focused and rapid and, and flexible. It's also about um, available massive assets. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was actually saying to someone the other day that I don't know any other company that is as old as IBM within the technology space. And uh, I think that the reason is because they just buy so many, so many companies, you know? Well, I mean, I, IBM is, uh, is, is legendary for uh, uh, innovating. And uh, somewhere in the heart of IBM, uh, there must be an equation somewhere that says, "Well, we don't want, we don't need these products anymore, uh, but we still own the um, the innovation rights." I mean, the PC was called the IBM PC, uh, but the company that grew off the back of the IBM PC was Microsoft. Um, the innovation in the very first place was IBM's. It wasn't um, it wasn't Microsoft. The um, the notion of cloud. Um, has been IBM since forever. Uh, and again, IBM are uh, in the artificial intelligence space. They are really active in there, as you well know. Yeah. Really, act, really, they're not the only player, but they are a very influential player in the artificial intelligence space. So that, you know, innovation uh, in a technical sense hasn't, isn't always met by product delivery. With, with IBM, they stopped selling hardware uh, at the PC level a number of years ago, sold the business. But they still are the thought-leading champions of having made that market movement. So I admire IBM and their approaches uh, re really uh, you know, very much. And the way that they approach technology and the, what's the word I'm looking for here, the intellectual thought that goes into uh, IBM's initiatives is, is very commendable. Yeah, they're an ethical, a very ethical company, actually. Um, so, I mean, some innovations can be too early, though, right? Like, if you, if you sort of look at the market and you say, well, okay, so Google Glass came along, and then you've got, like, Microsoft HoloLens, and you've got all these sorts of things. And, and actually, those innovations, whilst they're amazing, and, like, I, I want to, I wanna, you know, get on board with that, and when it, when it becomes more widely available and easier to use... 
I will probably end up embracing some glasses to replace, in essence, my handset for my telephone, right? But if people aren't ready, then that innovation just dies, like like with Google Glass. They just shelved it, didn't they? No, it isn't dead. No. You know, Google Glass will come, will come back at some, some later point in the uh, evolution of, um, uh, of system interfaces. But, you know, the idea that you can wear a pair of glasses and it can be showing stuff uh, within the lens to you. It, it, it's basically a head-up display, isn't it? Yeah. It's, a, it's an interactive head-up display. And that concept is not gone, but they, they, they brought it and they, uh, they tested it and they, they um, very quickly then said, okay, well, you use the words. This is not quite the right time for it. We know it works now, but this isn't quite the right time. So shelve it. Not throw it away. Shelve it. Yeah. Yeah, wait for the right uh, for the right time. Well, thanks, Mike. That's been that's been really really useful. That's good. It's always good to talk to you, Nat. And um, I hope that um, some good comes from this conversation. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe and wherever you prefer, share with your friends. And if you enjoyed the show, drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.